0: Do you guys do Valentine's Day in Holland? Like, does your son come home with, like, Valentine's for you? We
1: actually did make me a, you know, he made a heart with glue and stuff. And, yeah, it's cute.
0: Oh, that's very cute. It's kind of of sweet that we learn about Valentine's Day by, like, making love cards for our parents. Of course, it's also kind of, although although in a darker way, it, it does sort of mimic the way we... The way we yeah, exactly. get trained to relate in in relationships find
1: exactly the same person. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, kids. Okay, kids. In today's mm-hmm. kindergarten class, we're going to make valentines for our parents, and I want you to write the kind of attachment patterns you're going to have for the rest <laughs> of your life.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucked up.
0: <laughs> Dear mommy. I love the way you make me work extra hard just to get praise from you. <laughs> Dear daddy, when you withdraw like a workaholic does, it makes me so excited.
1: Oh, for you to come home.
0: For you to come home, because that means I finally am worthy. Oh. Don't ever go away. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, that's- Let's, let's get to let's words. Get. Podcast, podcast
0: with Kareem <laughs> uh. All right so welcome back to Let's get Lyrical with Carissa and Daniel. And it, this is part two of our Valentine's Day series. And I think as we discovered last week, I mean, even if I wasn't here, if this was just Carissa's podcast, you could do you could do a podcast every week for the next 10 years of years. just love song, 25 oh, yeah. years. Yeah. Your knowledge, your, 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 your crates of of love songs are deep.
1: Yeah. True. True that. And I'm not, and and I'm proud of it.
0: You should be. It's a rich topic. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I mean, it's not like you just came in with like syrupy, hokey, sentimental love songs. I mean, the first song, the one Nina Simone sang wild is the wind is on the paper kind of um, sentimental, but the way she sings it, what attracted you to it is not just that sentimentality. Right.
1: No, not at all. I mean, it's all the the deeper layers that interest me, and it's also it, it coming from an an actor's perspective, I guess. You know, and, and a and a voyeur and a and a and an observer uh, of, I guess, human emotions and human behavior. I think there's just something that comes together in that song that's so sort of strong, strong and powerful. But you know, this was just that was just the top of my list. It was not even in rank order, in rank ranking order. You know, I I, I again like I have. Millions of that kind of stuff.
0: Okay, well, we're gonna find ways of bringing some of those millions into future episodes. <laughs> we'll find we'll we'll find threads, you know, running themes, and because uh, I'm I can't wait to hear more from that list. But today, yeah, it's your turn. It's my turn to to take a look at my list, and I had a harder time because it's funny. I was gonna bring in a bunch of like songs about like what love relationships have actually been like for me and hoping Mm -hmm. that other people would be able to relate to them. But then I thought, you know what, because those are not going to be necessarily all that fun. Uh, I mean, they're fun, but they're fun in the same sense of of you as a performer connecting with the drama of of these songs. They're not going to be just like straight up. Love is great. Love is nice. It's more like love is complicated. Love is confusing. But then I realized, you know what? I do have a few love songs that I truly enjoy kind of just unironically and without reference to any particular struggles I might have had in my life. So why don't we start with those?
1: Yes, let's start with just let's start simple, Daniel. Let's yes, start. You know.
0: <laughs> Thank you. You you ground me, Chris. You ground me. Got to got to keep it simple at least to begin with. Yeah. Um well, keeping things simple to begin with If you haven't subscribed, folks, to this podcast, please do. Please rate and review us on your podcast platform. Head on over to our YouTube channel uh, where we have lots of clips and cool stuff. And you can actually take a look at us while we do this and read the lyrics. And if you want to be able to do that every single week, every single time with even longer episodes, you get that as a Patreon member if you subscribe for five bucks a month go to patreon.com slash let's get lyrical sign up and you'll get a full video version of the entire episode every week the rest of the public only gets shorter clips and you get a bunch of other great perks as well and we really appreciate the support hey folks daniel cutting in here in post-production just to let you know that the patreon bonus version of this particular episode is about 45 to 50 minutes longer than the version you're currently listening to Uh, It contains a hefty bit more discussion and analysis, including a a lot more talk about the Joni Mitchell song that we have coming up. There's an entire bonus song by Ani DeFranco, a really beautiful tune that we discussed. And there's just a bunch more extra stuff. So if you want to hear all of that and also be able to hear every minute of every song and read the lyrics along with us as we watch and listen... Head to patreon.com slash let's get lyrical. Okay, back to the main episode. All right. So why don't we just dive right into the music this time?
1: Let's let's go for it. Let's do it.
0: All right. Do you know this Indigo Girls song, Power of Two?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, I might have, you know, I might have heard. No, I don't think so.
0: So just a little bit of background. The Indigo Girls are a folk pop, I guess, but, you know, really starting in the folk uh, genre duo from Athens, Georgia, Emily Saliers, Amy Ray, both out proud lesbians from the very beginning. And their first album, their eponymous album, I think came out in 87 maybe, or 88. So, you know, we're talking late eighties where to be a fully proudly gay female Songwriting duo, and it's not like they were a couple. Mm -hmm. It's not like they were ever together romantically. I think some people made made the mistake of thinking they were. So they were maybe the most visible lesbian musical act on the market until maybe Melissa Etheridge came along. Mm -hmm. You know. So again, and this is before Ellen. Like this is before Ellen came out. This is years before Ellen came out probably 10 years before. So they were always very significant in that way. They're also just both incredible songwriters. They didn't write songs together. They would always write separately, but then they would each sing on each other's songs. Hmm. And sometimes they would each take lead vocals in certain parts of each other's songs, but do incredible harmonies as well. Both really good guitar players. This This is all called Power of Two. And I think it's a beautiful, It's a beautiful tribute to long-term relationship and trust and it's something that I aspire to and in the moments that I've tasted it, it's very sweet.
1: is very sweet. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I also noticed that then I lose the lyrics, I just go into music.
0: Yeah, well, that was, that was my calculated risk by just showing you the video. So let's look at the, <laughs> let's, look at the let's look at the, let's look at the lyrics now. Because the lyrics actually, I think are quite um, profound, and, and they're sweet and gentle, but they still have something to say about relationships, mm-hmm. I think. So it starts with a little anecdote. Like a little kind of slice of life, and then it leaves it, like the rest of the song is more just kind of generally talking about the relationship, but it starts with a scene. now the parking lot is empty. everyone's gone someplace. I pick you up, and in the trunk, I've packed a cooler and a two day suitcase, so that already that suggests we're going somewhere, you know, like mm-hmm. road trip time, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. very intimate um, and I just I just that image of the parking lot. I, want, I wonder what parking lot is that. I imagine like a roller skating rink or a strip mall or, you know, I'm, I'm picturing Georgia in my head and like, just what would that parking lot be? Anyway, it's just a very evocative way to start a song. Cause there's a place we like to drive way out in the country, five miles out of the city limit. We're singing and your hands upon my knee. Um, and with that gorgeous melody of hers, and da 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 da, da, da. There's a place we like to drive. But that um, that entire first verse conveys such intimacy, I think. Mm. It's like you you're waiting for me, you know I'm gonna pick you up, I pick you up, and I've already packed the cooler, you know, with the beer and whatever, or the wine, or the picnic stuff, or the food, and a two-day suitcase. We're going away for this much time, a weekend, because there's a place we like to drive way out in the country. And it occurs to me, looking at the lyric now, five miles out of the city limit, we're singing and your hands upon my knee. There's something about getting out of the city that frees this couple up to fully mm-hmm. just sink into into their rapport.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I, that that might I might be adding that, but I feel like there's some sub- subtext there, especially for a gay couple living. In that
1: part, of part of the, the country
0: in that part of the world at that time mm-hmm. and maybe even maybe even these days maybe especially these days um and then the chorus so we're okay we're fine baby i'm here to stop your crying so you imagine them leaving town and maybe there was some upset on those last few days in town we're getting out of here you know chase all the ghosts from your head i'm stronger than the monster beneath your bed smarter than the tricks played on your heart. And I love that that kind of pivot from the monster beneath your bed to just the internal, emotional, psychological dynamic of the tricks played on your heart. I'm smarter than them. We'll look at them together, then we'll take them apart. How reassuring is that?
1: Yeah, that's very that's nice. What you,
0: that's what you want to hear, Yeah. right? Add, and then this, like, <laughs> Emily Salier is the songwriter and lead singer here. Is so poetic with her metaphors. I mean, she she from the very start, she always sounded like kind of a grad student, like poetry major. I think she mm-hmm. might have been. And I'm not that's not an insult. There's just something very self-consciously literary and lyrical and poetic about her lyrics, but always very sharp and clear. Mm-hmm. Adding up the total of a love that's true, multiply life by the power of two. And I'm very glad that she didn't take that math metaphor and then like extend it throughout the rest of the song, like mm. the, ex- the exponent of my, <laughs> my romance for you minus the insecurities mm-hmm. divided by your past <laughs> trauma. <laughs> so now it's almost like the song continues and it's like the conversation they're having in the car. So maybe the scene does continue, but it's mm-hmm. just now we just get into the conversation. Uh, And then we have the chorus again. So that's the first two verses. Any comments before we move on to the bridge?
1: (laughs) Go to the bridge. Go to the bridge. I'm with you.
0: All the shiny little trinkets of temptation, something new instead of something old. All you got to do is scratch beneath the surface and it's fool's gold. So again, talking about the illusory attractions of, of constantly something new. And I can relate to this. Like you get into a relationship with somebody, it's exciting. It's fun. That newness wears off. And at a certain point, other, other people or other fantasies of what a relationship could be start seeming shinier and new, but she's saying all you gotta do is scratch beneath the surface of that. And it's fool's gold. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: So you must have something to say about long-term versus short-term relationships. Can you relate to what I'm, or is it just me that you you're with somebody for a while and then you start thinking, hmm, they don't have this. What if I was with someone who had that?
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's sort of avoid uh, unavoidable. Yeah. Um, but there's so there's something so nice about passing that stage. You know, passing that stage of being distracted or thinking that the gr- grass is greener, yeah. And then there's such a calmness behind that. After mm-hmm. that, but
0: mm-hmm. you
1: have, I mean, that but that is that is something that you have to, I guess, experience a few times for yes. it to really to to appreciate what's behind that um, behind that uh, hump, I guess.
0: Yeah, what's what's around that bend in the road? Yes, and. And more than I realized before talking about it now, the road trip metaphor is a very, it really sets the frame for this lyric because um, you really, and and the, you know, the sound of the guitar and the harmonica does sound very road trippy and, and it's a metaphor for the entire thing and being able to stick with it. And one thing that makes me sad when I look back on my romantic life is I love road trips and I love traveling. And I could probably I could probably have a hard time trying to fill up the fingers on one hand with all the times I've had a successful, really pleasant, enjoyable, relaxed road trip with somebody else. Yes. I always imagine it's going to be, but mm. somehow traveling with somebody brings out all the fault lines and all yep. the flaws in the relationship and exposes it and sometimes spells like... It's like a prediction of what's coming, which is yeah, true. You know, I mean, the, the road.
1: I have a I have a road trip experience that was not romantic at all. It really laid bare what what the problem
0: was. You mind saying you know, where? It, like, what, what was the what was the setting? What was the location?
1: Um, yeah. Without with it was sort of in the, the considered the most beautiful country in the world. which it was, um, if you fill it in. But um, it was very apparent that there was, you know, roads and roads of nothing, no other cars, nothing, just nature, beauty, 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 beauty. And we had nothing to say to each other. There was no, I mean, it's beautiful if you can be quiet, but we both felt like this is not working. And that was very very sad to be in such a beautiful place and to have such a luxury of traveling there and it's for it not to. Yeah. It was so apparent that it didn't, that it, that we, that we didn't, we were not made for each other basically. Mm. Yes. Yeah. You're you're surrounded.
0: Yeah. the, The juxtaposition between the, the, the free, easy openness of the scenery and the beauty and the space and the possibility and then inside the car it feels claustrophobic
1: yeah and 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 you can't even sort of share the beauty and if of course that is also what is so beautiful about being together with someone that you can share that that you can share the experience and that you sort of you know it can amplify as she said um yes when you're two but it can also yeah. make you extra lonely <laughs>
0: multiply life by the power of two. Yeah. Because that can also amplify, I think amplify is a great word there. Like it can amplify all the difficulties, but then, then the question is how do you deal with it when that happens? And that's what happens here in the third verse. And I love this third verse for me, makes the song for me. I mean, the whole thing is perfect, but Mm -hmm. now we're talking about a difficult thing and your eyes are getting wet. I took us for better and I took us for worse. Don't you ever forget it. So she goes right to conflict Mm -hmm. because you can't, She's already saying, you know, the shiny little trinkets of temptation, the idea that it's always going to be shiny and new and whatever, that's fool's gold. Well, then what is the real thing? What's the real Mm -hmm. gold? Well, the real gold is going to have conflict. Mm -hmm. So now we're talking about a difficult thing and your eyes are getting wet, right? There's tears. I -hmm. took us for better and I took us for worse. Don't you ever forget it. That's commitment. So Mm -hmm. the relationship is not threatened because we're having a difficult time in this moment. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the essence of commitment. Mm -hmm. Like it's just Mm -hmm. airtight. And I know that I have had a weakness in the past in my relationships where I know that the people I've been with have felt at times when things get difficult, they can feel me with one foot out the door.
1: Yeah. And then of course, and then it amplifies both the wounds. Oh yeah. 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 100% yeah,
0: yeah. as if it was designed to. <laughs> yeah. And then this this quatrain here, quatrain just being a fancy lyrical word for a four line little rhyming unit. Um, and now the steel bar is between me and a promise. And this is a case where Amy comes in with the line anticipating Emily's line. so it's, And now the steel bars, now the steel bars, but you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> Nerd talk, (laughs) nerd talk. Total nerd talk. (laughs) This is, I mean, I've often said that I'm actually a lesbian trapped in a man's body. And I don't mean that in terms of gender identity or dysphoria or anything like that. I mean that like, in terms of my communication style, I like over communicate. I, and there's, and and there's, this is what I'm told lesbians do. There's jokes about like lesbian breakups taking longer than the relationship and, (laughs) and all this kind of stuff. And, uh,
1: this is all new and, to me, but yeah, and there's some on.
0: there's something about the indie girls that I've always felt like, oh, this is me, you know, mm. <laughs> much more than much more than like the Rolling Stones. Anyway, um, now the steel bar is between me and a promise. Suddenly bend with ease. How self aware is that? The steel mm. bars between me and a promise suddenly bend with ease. There's this. I'm trapped inside of this prison in this cage where I can't commit. And those steel bars suddenly bend with ease. And the closer I'm bound in love to you, the closer I am to free. Yeah. And that's the paradox of commitment, isn't it?
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I've never
0: heard it. I've never heard it put so, um, beautifully and succinctly and poetically as the, at those, Mm. as those four lines.
1: Reminds uh, me of another song that
0: I'll bring up after this. Please bring it up now. I think we're oh, at the end of this.
1: One. Uh, um, Joni um, Mitchell, of course, because it's it's one of my top ten songs, I guess, of the of this whole thing. The the all I want, the the blue song. Yes. The first song of blue.
0: Yeah, what what line from that song does that? Remind uh, you? So I'm,
1: I want to make, make you. I want to knit you a sweater. I want to write you a love letter. I make you feel better. I want to make you feel free. Right. That is like that. Is that is that not the best thing you can wish for someone? I think that's so sort of perfect, you know. And then all the rest around it is quite complicated. You know what she's talking about. Uh, we can, we can look at the lyrics later, but, um, but that sentence is just. Yeah. It's always stuck with me is that if you can really feel that both of you, both of them, both of us, both of you, both of whoever, then, um, yeah. Anyway,
0: all I want is a beautiful song, but here Emily is saying that actually that feeling of freedom, that Joni Mitchell's talking about in that song. It doesn't come from no restrictions. It doesn't come from no Mm. commitments. It doesn't come from let's just do whatever we want. No. It comes from agreements. It comes from promises. It comes from being bound in love to you. The closer I'm bound in love to you, the closer I am to free, which, I mean, to me, that's like a Zen koan of, like, love wisdom, you know? And I, I I could study that one for the rest of my life. Okay. So that's the Indigo Girls. And that song just means a lot. And I actually, you know what, I, I do have one beautiful memory just occurred to me of putting this song on in a car with a girlfriend I had been with for a couple of years and we were getting near the end of the relationship, but it wasn't a bad end. It was really that she was moving back from New York to the West Coast and I was staying in New York and our lives were just going in different directions. But we were having a road, we were driving at this point from her parents' place in California to my parents' place in Vancouver, and we were on the Washington coast on the Olympic Peninsula with those beautiful, you know, evergreen trees, and the sun was streaming through the trees, and we're by the ocean, and the, there had been a fog and a mist, and it was, it was like late afternoon, and... and and we put this song on the radio and I just remember like I th- we might've even been holding hands and there was just a really good feeling of like, yeah, I kind of get what the song is about now, you know? So I have,
1: mm.
0: I have experienced it. Yeah. And I know it's, I know it's pointing to something true and we're still friends.
1: Oh, that's good. That's nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. let's go to a song from a musical. Have you seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch? No, no, I've heard of it, but. So this is a song called The Origin of Love. And um, it's a myth. And I'm not sure if it's taken from an existing myth about how human love relationships were created, but it's beautiful. And I I first saw this show when it was off-Broadway And it's actually the show that first put the idea in my head, maybe I could write musicals. Hmm. Because it was doing something totally different than I was used to. It was writing really, really clever, good pop songs in the service of a story and not silly radio pop songs like pop songs in genres that I loved, like punk rock and glam rock. And it was cool. It was cool as fuck. Hmm. And it was also really funny. This is, I think, the second song in the show.
1: When the earth was still flat And clouds made of fire And mountains stretched up to the sky Sometimes higher Cokes thrown the earth Like big rolling kegs they had Two sets of arms they had Two sets of legs they had Two faces peering out of one giant head So they could Watch all around them as we talk while they are read, and they never knew nothing of love. The was before the original love. Origin love. Great song. Yeah. yeah. Really great song.
0: Now, I love it like, when
1: musical songs have. These are so rich.
0: It's epic. It's like a, I mean, it's. Yeah. And it's a six-minute song that takes its time to tell an ancient myth. This does come from a a Greek myth. Um, Here's what this website says. The basis of the song is a myth from Plato's Symposium. According to this myth, long ago, people were not as they were today. We were all comprised of two being connected as one. Three sexes existed, male, male, female, female, and male, female. Humans and the gods coexisted for thousands of years until one day humans began to show defiance toward the gods. Obviously, this threw off the balance of things and the gods decided that they would have nothing to do with it. They had become jealous of the happiness of humans and the love and connection we felt from being constantly attached to another being. At first, Thor, a hammer-wielding Norse god, suggested simply destroying all the humans. But Zeus, the god of lightning, figured we should all suffer a little more than that. (laughs) His idea was to use his lightning to simply split up the humans into two beings, separating ourselves from our other halves forever. So they really took, you know, they took the literal myth and just made a song out of it. They didn't change anything. In doing this, humans were overcome with a great sorrow and were forced to search the planet forever to find their other halves. The desire to find one's other half was the origin of love. And the only way to find love is to be reunited with the person you desire, whether you know who it is or not. So, It's very uh, provocative myth.
1: Yes, and also, I mean, you know, spiritual. I guess, you know, enlightened people would probably say bullshit. (laughs) You know, because you know you're already whole. Why fucking search the whole fucking world to find another person who's as fucked up and double the trouble?
0: Okay. Yeah. Is that simple Well no. Very- no, not at all. To them, I would say, okay, you're right. We are whole and human beings have always had this drive to want to find an added dimension of existence through being with someone else. Now You could say, well, okay, that's all about reproduction. That's it. But that's not true because what accounts for gay love? You know, that's not procreative.
1: No.
0: Uh, And not all love is procreative. Um, So is it only about like spiritual being spiritually fallen that we like? Is it a spiritual error to want to fall in love? Or is there some paradox here that we are complete and that being with someone else can accelerate or help us? Realize that because the fact is, there's parts of myself that I have a hard time accessing on my own. And I don't know that meditation gives people the ability to access all of their sexual energies necessarily. You know, like let's say I'm cut off from my feminine side. Mm -hmm. Is, is like Vipassana meditation really going to connect me with those hidden parts of myself? Wouldn't it be much more efficient to be in a relationship? (laughs) actually, if you do it consciously.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not the doctor here either, you know? No, I know. (laughs) But but but
0: why don't you take that position or or tell me what you think? Because it's a dilemma. Yeah. Because I'm with you. I mean, again,
1: like spiritually, I think if you get to that place, that sort of wholesome place, which is Mm -hmm. will we ever get there? then to be with someone else is an extra and can be, you know, amazing. I think, but so much of that filling in the gap is filling in a gap. Yes. But I mean, sorry to sound so cynical, but
0: you don't sound cynical. You sound Dutch.
1: (laughs) This is sort of is maybe it's the same blunt, straightforward (laughs) and blunt, simple.
0: Oh, blunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said blonde. No, blunt. Yeah, farmers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um. Well, here's how I here's how I would try to square that dilemma or that paradox because I I think a spiritual perspective is helpful.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Myth is metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't need to take this literally. Mm -hmm. The fact is what is trauma, but it's a splitting from ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. It's a fracturing of ourselves. And it's very, 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 very hard. I don't care what time you're born in, what country you're born in, what culture you're born in. I think it's very hard to be born into this world as a human being and not have some part of you fracture or disconnect. Maybe there's some theoretical other universe some non-toxic culture where people don't, where people escape from childhood without trauma. But it seems to me that like, there's going to be things that happen in life that leave a mark and that, that in some ways we have to leave parts of ourselves behind. I think that's just kind of, if you look at all ancient myth, human beings have been dealing with this forever. Mm -hmm. So then, we feel incomplete. It's not that we are incomplete. Mm-hmm. And if we were to, yes, if we were to take the time and just get spiritual and get down to the capital T truth of everything and, you know, just listen to Eckhart Tolle and realize that nothing is missing in this moment. <laughs> the wholeness that you are cannot be destroyed in the now. Um <laughs> But, but (laughs) absent that, we're going to go through life with this ache. Now, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think it's, it seems to me that it should be possible that if we know that we have this ache and that we're drawn to other people, but we're also aware that ultimately the other person can't complete me, but maybe by being an interaction in relationship with the other person, I can accelerate and super poop super mm-hmm. ex- pooper charge pooper charge supercharge yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
0: pooper charge supercharge my intention to find my wholeness
1: mm-hmm. they
0: can't do it for me mm-hmm. but if I put myself in proximity to them you inspire know, that inspire me. that
1: inspire journey. that but
0: also I- inspire it but also like stoke it because when you're because that incompletion, Mm-hmm. That that belief about my own incompletion when I'm close to someone else is going to be that much more painful because I'm I'm going to be trying to get it and I can't. Yeah. So again, if I can bring consciousness to that, bring consciousness to the unconsciousness, bring intention to the automatic dynamic, bring healing to the to the wound you activate the wound a little bit by being with somebody. But if you both understand that what we're doing this is for, is for each of us to realize that we are whole human beings, then it isn't so much about, because I think this song stays very, I mean, and this character at least at at this point in the show is still in this tragic, you are my other half and I need to Mm -hmm. find you and I'll always be broken without you. But that just matches Mm -hmm. Hedwig's view of herself himself. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. by the end by the end of the show, they may arrive at a much more um, life giving interpretation of this. Mm-hmm. So this is one. It, and, and and the last thing I'll say: mm-hmm. any myth you can interpret man, many ways. So you could interpret this myth to say we need to find our other half, and that's the hallmark version. That's the that's the Hollywood version. Right? There is one person out there who's going to complete us. The other version is we walk around through life experiencing ourselves as incomplete and mm-hmm. maybe someone else can be there with us as we do that and we can support each other. Anyway, that's my, and also, that's my hopeful attempt.
1: Yeah. And also, of course, you know, unlikely people, you know, because of course also the, a, a reality is that we find or look for people subconscious or consciously that have mostly subconsciously that have similar wounds, of course. So, Yes. In a way, you think, "Ooh, that!" But that could also be the biggest challenge. And yes, as you say, a a a, a, um, a, a catalyst. Um,
0: uh, catalyzing. Ca- yeah. A catalyst. Catalyst.
1: Yeah. To to get there, to get to the wholesome place, as you said before. So sometimes it's with the people that you probably trigger you the most is where your biggest lesson is, of course.
0: Yeah. And that's the, that, that I think that, that that's borne out by my observations and my experience. I mean, we've talked about my parents last time, 53 years. Yeah. There have been moments where them being together looked like the worst idea in the world. And in the context of being parents of young kids, the, the friction in their relationship was too much for them to be able to, put their attention on that, you know. And so my mom has said that if she could do it over again, she would have left him when we were young. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. even inside of that alternate universe, she imagines them getting back together because they were meant to do exactly what you just said because they did trigger each other, but they also brought out
1: helped each something. other heal, basically.
0: Help helped each other heal, yes. Yeah. 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 Um and, and they're yeah. still at that, but they're they're you know much further along than they ever were and they I think they understand the purpose of it now. Well, you mentioned Joni Mitchell and I've got a Joni Mitchell song. It's different than, it's not all I want. Um, It's probably lesser known because it's from when she was quite a bit older. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is, uh, I think it's a beautiful song about what we're looking for from love. Quite aside from all of the healing and all that, just the... Joni Mitchell's really great at just getting down to the human level, and it's profound, but it's not overly highfalutin. Mm-hmm. It's just, she's just talking about the vulnerability here. And uh, this is from her album Night Ride Home from 1991. Yep. So she would have been in her 40s at this point. And this was the album where she really kind of steered away from her 80s, highly produced synth sounding stuff, which itself is really good in its own way, or interesting at least, and got back to a more folky style of songwriting. And uh, it starts with an anecdote about growing up in Saskatchewan in the 1930s, 50s? 40s, 50s, maybe 50s. Yeah, 50s, yeah she's not that right? old. 50s, yeah. All right, here we go.
1: Seven we had to
0: dance a foot apart And they hock at us from the sidelines
1: She's really something else. Like she just takes it right down to the, to the core. Right. That's right.
0: Always. It's, it's, it's actually just incredible to me how she writes these songs, you know? Um, Yeah.
1: Because it's like, yeah, it's like a, a, a diary. It's so fucking personal and so out there in a way. And it sort of fits the music so well, and it doesn't ever feel p- pushed or forced or no, and so relatable, even though it's so, so complex. relatable,
0: complex, poetic, more insightful than any of us could ever be. But the minute she <laughs> says it, she chooses the exact words that'll have us see it, and you have to go back and be like, "What did she say?" But it's it's not it's not uh, inaccessible at all. It's just it's just so perceptive, yeah. And I, you know, it makes me want to go through the lyric with a fine tooth comb because every mm-hmm. line is so rewarding. I think, in terms of it fitting the music perfectly, I, s- speaking as a songwriter myself, my instinct is. She came up probably with the first verse, right? The first stanza, just a memory of growing up in Saskatchewan, and you, you know, the cold, wet, you know, mm-hmm. m- middle Canada, the prairies in the winter, one of the coldest places where humans live on the planet. The, mm-hmm. You can't imagine how cold it gets in, I
1: in Manitoba. I don't wanna imagine, <laughs>
0: thanks. No, no, <laughs> we're talking about you know winters where negative 40 degree days Celsius are not uncommon. Um, and growing up in the 1950s, so the coldness of that era. And I think she was ta- she's talking about a Catholic school, right? I think because she, she grew up around nuns so back in 1957 we had to dance a foot apart and they hawk-eyed us from the sidelines holding their rulers without a heart the teachers you know just standing there sternly while while teenagers try to have their first experience of connecting with each other physically standing a foot apart they got the rulers they got to measure out like you got to enforce it right and so with just a touch of our fingers We could make our circuitry explode and all we ever wanted was just to come in from the cold. Okay, immediately she said it all right there, right? The the metaphor of the cold, the literal cold. Okay, now she has this setup. The song doesn't need any really real choruses or a bridge. It's just going to be strophic like that Bob Dylan song we played, one verse after another, ending with the same refrain, ending with the same line coming from the cold. That's what she's always driving towards now. She's always going to rhyme with it um, in that, you know, sixth line of the eight lines. Um, but now she knows that, okay, she needs to come up with a different rhyme each time, but also coming in from the cold has all these different meanings. So each verse can explore a different facet of this longing for warmth, for connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of it is interpersonal and some of it is just about being a person. So you know, but with just a touch of our fingers, we can make our circuitry explode. That's what a great way to talk about puberty.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I feel your leg under the table, leaning into mine. I feel renewed. I feel disabled by these bonfires in my spine. How delicious is that? <laughs> Number one, she adds an extra rhyme between the first line and the third line, normally she doesn't bother to rhyme those two. But here, I feel your leg under the table. I feel renewed. I feel disabled.
1: Mm-hmm. So that
0: that does something that that infuses the lyric with extra energy. And it's a smart lyricist who knows when to do that. But also just the, the juxtaposition of these two completely opposite ideas, but they both apply to what it feels like to be turned on. I feel renewed. I feel disabled. Mm-hmm. I feel... Yeah. I'm brought online and I'm taken offline
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: at the same time. Yeah. And how does a lyricist know to put that there? You just have to tap, she's the, the insight to tap into what does it actually feel like to have that experience and notice what are the different facets of it? Oh, wow, look, there's these two things. I could put them next to each other, two seemingly opposite words that completely go together. That's what a lyricist does.
1: Because funny, because you, you, when you read it or when you hear it, it feels like she just sort of written it down in one go, you know. Mm-hmm. But of course, she's. Be, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what her process was, but you know, as you were describing this, this sounds more like someone with a razor and a little pen and just thinking over, it, thinking it over, and just you know, I, I don't know how in, intuitive this all was. Like, I'm very curious how how her process was, like what her process was really. In
0: general well there's the, the the great thing about Joni I mean Bob Dylan is someone who I feel like many of his songs he just sat down and wrote it on a wave of inspiration mm-hmm. and just wrote it mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell is this combination of intuition and craft mm-hmm. and real craftiness and deliberateness she's a painter I guess Dylan's a painter too it's interesting they both paint and they're yeah, both yeah. quite good and she feels um, like
1: she's a painter first right
0: Yeah that's what she says Yeah right these bonfires in my spine, you know, again, she knows where she's going. She's trying to get back to coming from the cold. So what's the concept
1: Mm -hmm.
0: here? Well, I don't know who the arsonist was, which incendiary soul who lit these bonfires in my spine. Was it God Mm -hmm. who had this idea? Was it Zeus? Was it Thor? You know, where did the fuck did this Mm -hmm. feeling come from? But all I ever wanted was just to come in from the cold. And the more this lyric goes on, it almost, to me, it almost transcends the whole question of, well, should we be spiritual and be complete in ourselves, or should we be desperate and human and trying to find each other? It's almost like we don't have a choice. We're caught in the middle of it. We got it. We're it. It. We're all of it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm.
0: And that's always how I feel with Joni. There's a kind of inevitability of being human because there's the capacity to hold so much at once within a singular... Unified frame.
1: Yeah, and the and the awareness and the same at the same time the, the being so present and in the oh,
0: now. Yeah. In the now. Exactly. <laughs> Do it again. Right. Do your yeah. Joni Mitchell is in the now. Oh, we love you. Eckhart, mind, we love you. The, Eckhart, mind, love you. the, the mind is The the mind, the thoughts always wish they had a river they could skate away on.
1: (laughs) That was good. That was a good one.
0: Yeah, thank you. But, and and what I love, and in in the very next verse here, she rejects the idea of being like above it all, of being so spiritual that she doesn't feel any of this. Look Mm -hmm. at the line. I am not some stone commission, like a statue in a park. I am flesh and blood and vision. I am howling in the dark. She's almost reading your mind. Like, oh my God, Joni, how are you such a goddess? No, fuck you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I am not some stone commission. I am a real Mm -hmm. full-blooded, I am howling in the dark. And keep in mind, this is a woman in her 40s singing this.
1: Yeah. That's why I guess I I relate to it so much.
0: Me too. Remember, I told you, I'm a I'm a forty something lesbian trapped in a forty something heterosexual man's body. No, I'm kidding. But uh, you know what I'm saying. You are, like, you are. Yeah, and and it's interesting. Joni Joni has always said she doesn't consider herself a feminist at all. She doesn't have to consider herself a feminist. It doesn't matter what she considers herself. The act of a woman putting this down so confidently mm-hmm, and singing mm-hmm. it and doing all the background vocals herself it's the it's the most incredible demonstration of
1: in all her subverting. vulnerability yeah yeah in yeah, all no, her I
0: vulnerability know. but without yeah. but without using her vulnerability to make you feel sorry for her or to try to turn you on her vulnerability yeah. is hers
1: yeah
0: you know um is this and then she starts to question it too which is another side of her is this just vulgar electricity? Is this the edifying fire? Right, like, is this porn or is this high art? Is is this just is is you know is this just sex or is it is it the love of the gods? Mm-hmm. Uh, does your smiles covert complicity debase as it admires? That's one full that's one full thought. That that first question mark shouldn't be there. Does your smiles covert complicity debase as it admires? That's almost too fancy and highfalutin to be intelligible as a lyric i that would it's not a criticism she's beyond criticism but i would say that that's one place where you really have to stop and think about that line Mm -hmm. but i think what she's saying is like i'm not sure if i can trust your sexy seduction like there's a kind of wink a kind of knowing covert complicity like hey you and me babe how about it
1: (laughs) yeah 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 like
0: uh dire straight said right but yeah. does it debase as it admires? Are you objectifying me when you do that? I don't trust where you're coming from. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Are you just checking out your mojo? And then she turns it back on herself. Or am I just fighting off growing old? And like I said, I never heard these parentheticals, but she's singing them in the background. Just a flu with a temperature. Just a high fever. <laughs> All I ever wanted was just come coming from the cold. So that self-doubt that creeps in, the... The confusion, the, the way mm-hmm. things can seem attractive, but then dangerous, incredible. Um, and yeah, I, I think we can probably yeah, leave I mean, it, there. More. It, 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 it there. Is, there is more. There's that one thing that you and I both just laughed at, and I, it really struck me this time listening to it. You wanna you wanna read this uh, paragraph out loud? This this sentence Oh yeah, when I when verse, I thought
1: life had some meaning, then I thought I had some choice. I was running blind, and I made some value judgments in a self important voice. I was out of <laughs> mind. But then absurdity came over me and I longed to lose control into new mind.
0: Oh, I think it's well, I into into understand. no yeah. Into no mind actually. I, I think that's no what she's mind.
1: Thinking.
0: Yeah. But wow, right? We were talking about the the illusion of choice. And she says, mm-hmm. when I thought life had some meaning, then I thought I had some choice. Now that is spiritual. That is an, whether she considers herself spiritually enlightened or not. That's enlightenment mm-hmm. to know that life doesn't have any inherent meaning. And our ideas of our self-important ideas about choice only get us to suffer. Yeah. It's not that life isn't meaningful, but we're the ones who are adding the meaning. Yeah. It doesn't have any inherent meaning. Yeah. And I made some value judgments in a self-important voice. <laughs> and she's been writing about her ego ever since Hegira in 76. She, you know, she says, I tried to run away myself to run away and wrestle with my ego. You know, this is back when she was in her 20s or I guess 30s then. But then absurdity came over me. <laughs> I love that. In, in, and it internally rhymes too. Then absurdity came over me. And I longed to lose control. So I thought I had control. I thought I had choice. I thought I understood the meaning of life. I thought I knew my values and I could state them in a self-important voice. But then here's a sign of maturity. Absurdity came over me and I just wished that I could let go of all that shit Mm -hmm. into no mind. And all I ever wanted was just to come in from the cold.
1: And it's also so... So simple the conclusion the, the stuff that she comes back to that makes it that makes it very um, powerful as well that she goes into zooms in and then zooms
0: out. That's right, and and the way her background vocals are layered in the in the refrain the come in come in come in please mm-hmm, come in mm-hmm. it's plaintive underneath all of this thinking it's very intellectual like this is advanced thinking but yeah. that 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 primal desperate urgent needy lovely vulnerable desire for connection and Mm -hmm. warmth is pulsating underneath and the guitar has a kind of pulsating energy to it and the drums it it's a perfect song
1: and also it struck me because we were talking about all i want before and of course she says all i ever wanted and and it's so beautiful that if you put them together if you start with that first one and then go there you you know you see that she yes she has a you know obviously evolved and developed and grown and matured, but then there's always that thing that that she had back then and she still has it just is you know she just explains it in a different way i guess but it never goes and that's also what was really striking to me hearing that because it is the same it comes from the same place it's just older
0: you just blew my mind that is so true It's only, and it's only 20 years older, only 20 years older. Mm, mm. I think about back to who I was 20 years ago. I guess I've, I guess I've deepened, I guess I've I'm, I'm, I'm a deeper feeler and thinker and, but no, I mean, she, you're right. The, the unity, the continuity of this soul, this mind, this heart seasoned with time. And this is someone who's willing to get older. She's willing mm-hmm. to age. you know a lot of a lot of pop stars, certainly a lot of actors fight getting older with yes. everything they've got. and Joni has really embraced age in a beautiful yeah. way that is so genuinely sexy.
1: Yeah Ah oh, Joni. Ah oh, Joni. Maybe we should tag her on this this one.
0: Hell yeah! I mean, maybe we could get her to come on the show.
1: Oh my goodness, she probably not, but you never know.
0: You never probably know. Not. Don't
1: give up hope.
0: Don't give up hope. All right, I wanted to end on a song, a rap song by De La Soul, uh, um, and I, I should have died. Dies right. Two days ago, Dave Jolicoeur, aka Dave, aka Plug Two, aka Trugoy the Dove. He had a lot of, um, um, a lot of uh, names, a lot of nicknames. Age fifty four. Died on Super Bowl Sunday, and I was I have not been this shocked or upset by a musician death, and I don't know how long. Wow, really? Not even not, e- not even Prince, not even Tom Petty. Wow. I don't know why. Wow. There's a few reasons he he's so youthful to me and their music is so youthful. Mm. They're one of the most underappreciated. they could never be appreciated enough. De La Soul. Um, but also, and I'll talk about them in a second before I play the song uh, or maybe afterwards, but they're, they've been involved in a, in a decades long legal battle to have their music be on the streaming services, Spotify, Apple music and all that. Their first four albums, their first, maybe even their first six albums are not there because there was something went, something went wrong with the legalities of the samples they used. They cleared the samples, the copyright, but not for digital streaming. Of course, when they made these albums, digital streaming didn't exist. Mm. So there must've been something in the language of the contract, something really loophole and technical and, you know, fucking annoying because everyone else has their stuff on, streaming services mm-hmm. and they were music making music around the same time. But these guys used a lot of samples and you're going to hear in this song. There's one sample that you might recognize in particular because um, it's by a band that I've played a couple of songs by. Uh, anyway, they finally won that battle. And on March 3rd, three weeks from the day we're recording this, it's all going to be released finally on the streaming oh. platforms.
1: Wow.
0: And he died and he died. and He didn't get to see it. Oh. Anyway, Dave was the sort of more gentle one of the two. I mean, they're, they had a gentle vibe. People called them hip-hop hippies. They weren't really hippies, but they did have flower imagery. They were from Long Island. So they were suburban, middle-class uh, rappers, which at the time was completely against the grain. I mean, this is the age mm. of NWA, LL Cool J, Run DMC, Boogie Down Productions, uh the closest thing to middle-class rappers was like Will Smith on the one hand, who was just a, he wasn't, he was a radio rapper, you know? He was writing stuff for, just for for AM radio. Or the Beastie Boys, who were like upper middle-class Jewish kids playing at rap in a, in a big way. And I love the Beastie Boys, but, and De La Soul ended up doing a song with the Beastie Boys years later. But De La Soul was this rare thing of like solidly middle-class suburban Black kids steeped in both hip-hop culture, street culture, ghetto culture, but also sampling Otis Redding mm-hmm. and Holland Oates and the very white group that you're going to hear in the chorus of this song. And I'll see if you can spot it. <laughs> see, see if you can spot this one, as Eric Clapton says. <laughs> May I cut this dance to introduce myself As the chosen one to speak Let me lay my hand across yours And aim a
1: kiss upon your cheek The name's plucked too plucked and From the soul two. I bring you The daisy of your choice May it be filled with a pleasure Principle in circumference to my voice About those other jennies I reckon with Lost them all like a homework excuse This time the magic number is two Cause it takes two not three, to seduce My destiny of love is brought to an apex Sex is a mere molecule in this world of lust that I have for you. It's true. true. I I love you better.
0: Did you catch that sample? I know that. Oh, better. Better.
1: What is that again?
0: Steely Dan, Peg.
1: Of course. Yes, of course. Yeah, of course. Now
0: for a hip hop group to sample yeah. Steely Dan yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: was completely wow. unheard. Like it was just bizarre. Sort of so uncool and- in, in a way. But here's the thing. But here's the thing. Steely Dan has always been cool, in like any black family who had like R and B records from the '70s, and had any taste in music like beyond just literally. Well, never mind that. Steely Dan was being played on black radio, right? Because they were doing R and B basically, just with sort of like a Mm
1: -hmm.
0: extra kind of you know white jazz nerd thing. So anyway, these kids grew up in families who had incredibly, they they used their parents' record collections to make this album. They just rated it all and <laughs> took samples. And they, they built this song, the song is called I Know, and they built it around that sample. So anyway, just sweet, smart, you know, um, not afraid to be kind of nerdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for many hip hop fans, White and Black, um, De La Soul represented sort of an invitation that, hey, hip hop can actually be a lot more than just about a particular aesthetic, or you don't have to be just from one particular background to relate to it. Mm-hmm. And it's not all about being tough or-
1: Gangs. Or, and...
0: or, or, or gangs, you know, which it never strictly was, but that's what it was becoming. And that, that was its commercial brand at that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And here, th- these colors, you know, the bright- neon colors and all that. Anyway, I just want to pick up these lyrics because they're so, so great. Um, and I want to focus on on Dave's verses. I mean, I, I love pauses, verse, plug one's verses too, but let me cut this dance to introduce myself as the chosen one to speak. Let me lay my hand across yours and aim a kiss upon your cheek. One of the things you'll really notice about De La Soul, especially in their first few albums, is their rhyme schemes are very they're almost dr seuss like like they're very mm-hmm. regular the name's plug too and from the soul i bring you the daisy of your choice may it be filled with the pleasure principle in circumference to my voice i don't even know what that means but it's such it's just such beautiful choices of words mm. and it has that the regularity of the rhyme schemes which like a dr seuss book is very soothing mm-hmm. you know but it's not like all over the place it's not surprising you what's surprising you is how they fill it in yeah About those other Jennies I reckoned with. I mean, and Jennifer is like one of their sort of pet names for girls. Jennifer, oh, Jenny. So about those other Jennies I reckoned with. Reckoned with. Come on. Lost them all like a homework excuse. (laughs) Isn't that great? Yeah. I lost my homework. I lost them all like a homework excuse. (laughs) This time the magic number is two because it takes two, not three to seduce. The first song on the album is called Three is the Magic Number. So that's the reference to that. But
1: odd as it may be, without my one and two, where would there be? My three mates, possibly me, and that's the magic number. What does it
0: all mean? My destiny of love is brought to an apex. Sex is a mere molecule in this world of love that I have for you. It's true. And then the Steely Dan sample, I know I love you better. But to say, you know, sex is a mere molecule, to include it, but to say it, it's, just, it's mm-hmm, just a tiny mm-hmm. piece of it. Yeah, And then later he says It's I again and the soul that I send Is taking steps to reach your heart Any moment you feel alone I can fill up your empty part We can ascend till we reach De la heaven and in a spin We'll hit the top ten And what's incredible is that these guys I don't know if they ever hit the top ten But this album was a huge Huge selling success Hmm. Like multi-platinum Uh then we can meet Mr. Stucky and possibly Brother Lucky can preach. That's that's just some inside stuff about their 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 little crew. Uh, shot by an arrow of Cupid through the string of a G clef. Yeah, my dear, I claim you're deaf. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can hear me, by golly G, <laughs> Trugoy is ready for what you possess. By the way, Trugoy, one of his names, is yogurt spelt backwards. That's where it comes. So from. Oh, funny. But by golly G, who says that in a lyric? We could live in my plug two home and on Mars where we could be all alone and we make a song for two picture perfect things and I sing of how I know I love you better. And this is one of their first singles, you know, and they ended up doing a lot more. They didn't stay with this kind of hippy dippy lovey dovey vibe. In fact, they explicitly rejected it on the next album. The next album was called De La Soul is Dead and (laughs) the, the cover of it is a flower pot knocked over on the ground (laughs) because they got really irritated with people calling them hippies. Arsenio hall once said, so you, you guys are like hip hop hippies. And they were like, and they, they got, they got really pissed off.
1: They stayed
0: creative. They stayed really cutting edge, always doing their own thing. But dove Dave Trugoy was always a very understated rapper, gentle, thoughtful, um, he has this great verse from 1996 where he actually just gets really sick of all the hip hop posturing. And he says, You know, I'm sick of bitches shaking asses. I'm sick of talking about blunts, sick of, sick of Versace, Versace glasses. glasses. Sick of slang, sick of pap ass award shows, sick of name brand clothes, sick of R&B. Cocaine and cracks bringing sickness to blacks. You know, at like just a kind of like over itness, a kind of like, I, you know. I don't even have like back then. Hours. Like back then, I mean, how, oh, imagine 99. how how
1: must how much he must have been over it now. But no.
0: yeah. Well, in a way, as they got older into their fifties, they started, you know, finding their place in the in in the in the scheme of things, and they collaborated. I mean, they did a song with Snoop Dogg. They did a song with Ghostface from Wu Tang. But they always maintained themselves, and um, they'll always be in my top. Three favorite rap groups of all time, and 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 he was one of the most unsung rappers because his partner, Plug One, um, Kelvin Mercer Pazdanus, gets most of the attention as a lyricist, and he's brilliant. Mm. But that it it it's devastating to me that they'll never get to perform together again, and they won't get to. Um, see the the day of triumph where their music finally gets to stream together. And yeah. so I'm just sending out a big broken Valentine's heart to them and to, you know, to Paz and Mace and the whole De La Soul and Native Tongues family and anyone who kind of is a little agnostic about hip hop. I mean, if you know hip hop, you already know De La, but anyone who is looking for a group that you can really get into and enjoy without having to deal with too much, Violent imagery or aggression or, um, and it, you know, you can listen to some Steely Dan samples and Holland Oates and Otis Redding. And I mean, it's just a, much, it's a very different kind of palette. Mm. When the music drops on March 3rd, um, in a few weeks, I really recommend checking out their, especially their first four albums, three feet high and rising, which comes from a Johnny Cash sample. Um, De La Soul is dead balloon mind state and stakes is high. So that's my little, that's my little Ted talk about De La Soul. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm really broken up about this. Mm. He he was so young and, and deserved. What the fuck does that mean? Deserved. We don't, none of us. <laughs> tomorrow is never promised, you know, but. Mm. What's the celebrity death that hit you the hardest?
1: Oh, good, good question. Um,
0: and I'm sorry for talking. So I, I haven't really let you say much, but I just, I no, sort no. of just, it's been building up for, ever since I heard the news.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, funny enough, George Michael was a, was a big one for me.
0: Yeah. Me too, actually.
1: Uh, Cause that was so connected to my childhood mm-hmm. and you know, that's when you you mm-hmm. think, Oh, the first one's going. That's the end of an era, or something, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I think probably that one. Uh, well, and 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 um, Freddie Mercury, because I was a, as a child, I was a bit uh, a bit of a Queen fan, and also I felt very related to Freddie because we share the same birthday, and um, you know, I uh, and I remember th- I remember actually uh, when I heard the song uh, "Who Wants to Live Forever," and that was before. It, the song came out and I think it was not known yet that he was sick or that he was dying at least. And I remember, <laughs> because I was so close to Freddie, I felt so connected to Freddie, that I, <laughs> I remember thinking there's something wrong with him. There, I can hear it, there's something wrong with him. Something's gonna happen. I remember very vividly that I had some sort of wow. feeling of there's something coming, there's something that's not right here. Uh, and I don't know how much, how old I was. It was 1991, I think. Yeah. Am I right? 91? Yep.
0: Yep. That's when he died.
1: Yeah. Um. So I was f- 15, 14, something like that. Yeah. So Freddie and, and George.
0: I still remember the uh, live from Wembley Stadium concert that they did, the tribute to him. George Michael, I think, yeah. sang. Did he sing don't Somebody to sun. Love? Uh, oh, Don't Let the that, That's right.
1: Then, wait, no, this is he another might, song. Well, he this sang thing. with
0: George Mike. No, I think he did sing uh, with Elton John, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me at that one. But I think he yeah. might have also sung, because they didn't... Somebody it, the to concert, Love he sang as well. Yeah, Somebody to Love. Metallica sang Stone Cold Crazy. Uh, and Elton John and Axl Rose together did Bohemian Rhapsody, which was a big deal because Axl Rose had had homophobic lyrics uh, the, in the previous year huge controversy and him and Elton John standing there together arm in arm on stage was sort of mm. like a big, was supposed to mean something.
1: Mm-hmm. But,
0: uh, yeah, but I remember that the, you know, the members of the surviving members of Queen played, it was a, that was a big concert. It was for yeah. AIDS research, I think, a benefit. Anyway, lots to love. <sighs> yeah. Well, we're at time. Thank yes. you for going on this journey with me.
1: It was interesting again. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah. My pleasure. I love these songs. And I love love. Yeah. I actually do love love.
1: I love love. I never Maybe remember I my, my son saying that once. I love love. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse.
0: From the mouths yeah. of babes. Yeah. All right, everybody. If you want to hear even more of this episode, uh, including probably at least one bonus song that didn't make it into the regular episode, head on over to patreon.com slash let's get lyrical. Please subscribe. Please watch us on YouTube. Please share with your friends and family and coworkers until they beg you to stop, (laughs) rate and review, sign up for the Patreon and stay tuned because next week, next Tuesday, February 28th, we have a very, very special live stream guest who we will be announcing in the next few days, but it's kind of huge. It's kind of a big deal for us. (laughs) So we'll be doing another one of our lyrical live streams. And um, you can write to us actually. We have an email address. Let's get lyricalpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions and requests and all that good shit. <laughs> Don't you love Korea? that I'm the one who does all this? Yes, PSA I love
1: stuff? that. <laughs> I love that. I'm gonna yeah. give
0: it to you one week and you're gonna be like, Yeah. Okay, so everybody, please. Yeah, do a try it.
1: Just but, but surprise me because that's the fun bits. Okay, I'll
0: write you. I'll, I'll write you some sides. No, don't. You just
1: you just have to let me do it like that, and I just. Oh, you'll I'll... improvise
0: it. Okay, great, oh, perfect. Next yeah, time is your fuck yours. it up. I'll fuck it
1: up, but I'll improvise. Oh,
0: but that'll be amazing. It'll be classic. <laughs> all right, next time it's on you.
1: Yep.
0: Okay. All right, Chris, See Starting you next off. time. See you. Love you all.
1: Bye.
0: <laughs> Chris, I'm going to say something. What? I love working with you.
1: Uh, I love working with you, too. Oh, thank Happy you. Happy Valentine's very nice. Day. Yeah, thanks. You, too. <laughs> Bye. Bye.